Georgia Dow is a therapist, but she's not your therapist. This show should not substitute a personal consultation with a professional. Yeah. All right, cool. I got that queued up, so that's good. Hey, okay. hey, hey, Georgia. Yeah. Um, I was just curious uh, if you like, I don't know, base jumped off the side of Mount Kilimanjaro, or like uh, shoveled cake into your mouth while uh, fighting off goblins and sharks. I heard that <laughs> you just recently had a birthday. It obviously has to be epic. <laughs> On a birthday, I don't know about Epic. I did my uh, rescue diving course, which was, like, really awesome. So that was, like, my birthday outing, I guess, was um, rescuing people unconscious underwater, <laughs> panicking underwater, um, which is more traumatic, really. I was really exhausted, kind of sunstroke and, and done from that. And uh, so that's what I did for my entire birthday weekend. And then uh, went to a really great restaurant and did some fun stuff. So, yeah, so most of it was, like, yeah, doing underwater diving stuff. Do they have like actors that pretend to be panicking in the water, or do they like oh, let's so let's find people who are they, they just find people. people who are who are really weak swimmers <laughs> and just throw them off a boat, shove them into. <laughs> well, it's funny because we're in an actual diving lake where there's a lot of other divers, and so you know you're like, well, let's rescue this diver. There's bubbles here, and then it's not the diver; it's someone else. It's some other team that were like, are you okay? Are you okay? And they're like, yeah, why are you bugging us? Because um, you search for actual instructor divers that go through that, and at some point there, someone's faking to be a panic diver on the surface and so we're like call 911 they're unconscious and then people really do panic so we have to be very careful with code words so that we don't have the EMS actually arrive on scene what but for one of the dives there's someone that goes underwater they get tied up underwater with actual lead with actual line they tie themselves up underwater to show off an entangled diver yeah it is kind of freaked out there's an extra diver that's because they're actually entangled they're, they're they really have tied themselves up to like a log or a rock or something oh my lord and we have to entangle them and make sure that they're okay and at some point the person underwater actually spits out their their regulator <gasps> and now like there's someone that was there as a safety diver just in case this is really dangerous because they actually are entangled and so you know i'm giving them my reg my my secondary uh, breathing apparatus thank god i have enough air and I'm watching to make sure they keep on breathing. But it's a really dangerous scenario because they were tied up. Like it took them like 10 minutes to, to tie themselves up. It took us about 25 minutes to untangle them. <laughs> so so my out. favorite my favorite Bond movie, one of them, <laughs> is Thunderball. So did you like practice like getting in a harpoon shooting duel with the enemy base <laughs> under sea? Like shooting harpoons at them? And where was the point where you swam into the underwater Nautilus base and then <laughs> use the torpedo to like blast your way into the villain's secret lair. You Did, know what? I think yeah? James Bond has has taught me the most lies about scuba diving because <laughs> it is not at all glamorous or cool. Like 
It's your your sausage <laughs> into this suit that like takes me forever, and then I can barely move. You're breathing in this mask, so lots of people end up with like snot on their face. Um, you don't look cool in your scuba suit. They're like you know like these little sausage festivals. You're just kind of like squeezing all the fat into the spot to get it on, and. Um, it's like, you know, and it's hard to breathe. You're heavy. It's heavy. You're tired. Your hair's all over the place, caked onto your face. Uh, I have a burn on one side of my forehead that's now peeling. Like, it's oh. it's not it's not at all like James Bond. <laughs> Georgia, I studied that movie very <laughs> yeah. carefully. And, like, Domino yeah. looked amazing in her scuba suit in, like, both really versions awesome. of it. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Yeah. I, I, photos, none of them do. I don't know why you're coming on our show and spreading disinformation. I think it's really inappropriate. I'm sorry. It's all a lie. Um, The only cool part is you are like fully buoyant underwater and that's really cool. Like that feeling of of when you make perfect equilibrium and your buoyancy is like perfect and you can just, that's cool. But the the weirdest do you so do you just kind of like maneuver yourself over the spring of bubbles and wait for the giant one to come up so that you can refill all of your air? My (laughs) underwater rescue techniques is from playing Sonic. And all I know is you just you just find yourself, you know, the bubbles and then you wait for the big one and then you're all set and you're good for another like 20 minutes. Oh, no, it's actually it's funny because doing this makes me escape more frightened of diving because when a panic diver, they will probably pull the breathing apparatus that is in your mouth out. Uh, to use for themselves. That's why <laughs> so, you have the harpoon gun. <laughs> no do that. Well, what? the funniest part is you like this. They tell you, you just, you just have to shove them away. Like, if there's someone panicked what? and at you, you actually push them away as one of the way to rescue out. But it's, um, I'm actually much more wary of diving after doing this course. <laughs> Um, instead of feeling more like, you know, when I first started diving, I'm just like, yeah, this is awesome. How much fun. And now I'm like, oh, this could go wrong and that could go wrong. I'm like, hmm. Oh, yeah. You're, but, you're, you're learning life from the Steve Lubitz perspective. That's fantastic. It's a little bit Steve Lubitz-ish. I think that that was part of the, it said slightly salty on the uh, rest of diving. <laughs> so was it, was it saltwater diving that you were doing? It wasn't actually. It was freshwater. Oh, okay. But the cool thing is we have a ton of shipwrecks. Um in uh, where I dove, which was Centene Park in Brockville, there's a ton of shipwrecks. I think there's like like 80 or 100. Like there's a ton of really cool shipwrecks to go down and see. So if you like wreck diving, we have a lot. We the fish are unfortunately really dull, but that, that's just from me. That's my perspective. They're not wow. really. Speaking cool. of wrecks, I heard there's a new VR <laughs> dating show on Eric. Oh, look at that! That was, that a was an excellent. I, I, I do a show with Simone. So <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, you know? if anyone knows how to segue, it's so it certainly is Segway Simone. Uh, yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. I could understand. So say you have uh, a person in the military, right? You have a, a partner who's in the military and typically like someone who's stationed overseas, you get uh, a couple chances every once in a while to like Skype in and have a conversation with your significant other. But what if you could take those sorts of, of Skype conversations a step further and do those things in virtual reality where you kind of get to see your significant other a little bit clearer and, you know, it, it feels more physical, you get to have uh, more of an intimate conversation. But this VR dating show, which it's um, Condé Nast <laughs> Entertainment and Facebook partnered up to make this virtual, virtually dating show, as it 
it's called on Facebook's new watch video feed. It's two people literally in the same room with each other with all of this VR gear strapped to their face. And mind you, these are HTC Vive headsets, not even uh, Facebook's own Oculus uh, headsets and, and, and equipment uh, who are dating each other. So they kind of get like scanned in and they go on virtual dates with each other. And the most interesting thing of it seems to be the fact that like at some point, you know, one of the people in the date could become a dinosaur and suddenly you're on the moon. And you're like going on a date with Tyrannosaurus Rex. That seems fun, right? But what doesn't seem fun is whenever it's just the two of them in the same room, like fondling each other with these headsets on. So I'm curious. Uh, I, I got to tell you, Micah, okay. I, you know, you know, I don't know about you crazy millennials with your grinders and your Tinder and your freak leaks and (laughs) (laughs) and you're like uh, banging on a mailbox app and all that kind of stuff daddy demon dating daddy demon dating.com I you know this is I back me up here Georgia and Steve like when you were married and you listen to the stories of people dating you just you like hold your your spouse closer and you go like i'm so sorry for everything i did i was not i was a little short with you this afternoon i'm so sorry and like i didn't think anything could seem worse than tinder and grinder and here we are it's like by the year 2025 like dating is gonna it's gonna involve just like hunting someone with a nerf nemesis out in the wild like, that just sounds awesome as well okay that would, good. Good. that would be good i, I don't yeah, think we want i don't think we want to turn match.com into the hunger games i don't think that's like a oh, good, are you kidding there's no. a note we need we need so to make a great. note here georgia said and i quote as well dating a t-rex <laughs> <laughs> It does. I'm like, okay, this makes it a little more exciting because, like, you know, well, went on a date. It didn't go well, but they were a T-Rex. Like, even that, people are like, oh, well, that's, you know, come on. I'm not, I, I can't be the only one. wasn't into their tiny arms, but they had some beautiful, <laughs> giant, sharp kept teeth. on holding the straw just outside of their reach, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know. That sounds kind of funny. I think that that might add, like, gets rid of some of the, um, like, like part of the, the nice part about, like, dating in a in a virtual kind of way is that like it gets rid of a certain amount of the social anxiety or t-rex you kind of feel i guess more comfortable <laughs> maybe just me but, uh, but yeah it sounds like it in some ways could be fun what it's fun You're, no. you <laughs> no. this has no merit whatsoever none 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 i don't know it sounds kind of funny i don't know I horrible. back me up on this. Like, okay, so I could see an application of this, and this is not a joke. Like, you know, um, they are finding a lot of VR applications for people on the autism spectrum because there is like a, a fear of being in the same space. So I could see it like in that context, but here it's like Oh my God. No, it just seems incredibly awkward. And like the pictures of them like touching each other. And and, like their limbs are turning like three, like 180 degrees in the wrong direction. And. Okay, the thing is, is that I like the the dating show itself seems like like ill like you, you, why VR date if you're next to each other in the same room? I'm with you on that. 
Yeah. But VR dating when you're not in the same room sounds like there, there's a, a certain amount of application to that. I can see how that works, just like it works for people on Tinder or on online or in games where you kind of get to know each other. That sounds like, like again, it's awkward. Having this, like, it seems... It, it defeats the purpose. Why do you VR if you're next to each other, actually? Why don't we VR podcast? Why don't we do that? Like, Wait, we'll we are all do actually VR. all remote. Like, I totally can get a VR pod. I, that sounds like a good okay, idea. See, I, I kind of that. would be into that. <laughs> no, yeah. you would not. You, you no, lost your mind with this t- the I second you saw Georgia the- on 2D video. Don't you tell me true. you're going to be no, okay. No, right. yeah. I was right. not expecting it's it. Me. That's you because I wasn't expecting it. I, if I am going in knowing, I'm like shouting in a microphone right now. If I am going in, see, and if if you're sitting across the table, then I can launch a Nerf dart at you in VR space. No, if I'm going into it knowing that this is something that's happening, then I'm, but yeah, I like that would be really cool. And that's what I was going to say, Georgia. I agree. I think like a friend date, that this could be really fun. Like I go with a group of my friends to the moon or something in, in virtual reality. That's super cool. But like a person, this is like blind dating is what it, what it's supposed to be. A person you're meeting for the first time in the same room and you don't get to see each other except in virtual space and the person approaches you and they're like a yeti you're going to be like i want to know kind of what you look like and i want to know more about who you are i don't want to date a yeti well i mean at least they they did scan do a 3d scan of them and it was like showing their their faces even if it was like this weird deformed version of it i mean this isn't any different than any other crappy dating show that has been around ever since like blind date in the 90s when most of us who aren't who aren't zygotes were in college and (laughs) and you know it's like we expect that kind of crap i think that there there are like especially for like folks who are disabled too and and you know stuck in the house that this could be an interesting application i think it's just kind of weird to have them in the same room and like able to yes. like physically interact with each other, but not see each other outside of the actual VR space. And then, uh, you know, it. I don't. I don't know. I don't like everything. Uh, like the idea of being able to date someone in VR is not. It's not even new. I mean, even Second Life was a thing for a long time too. But like, why they implemented it this way is just like it's so weird. It's it's hard to get past like anything else because like the whole implementation of the show itself, beyond the fact that it's cringeworthy like any dating show, is just bizarre why they would make the choices they made. I played some massive multiplayer online games in my in my earlier years and quote dated unquote people on those platforms. So like I get I, I understand where that comes from. But again, it's because we're from two different locations. This weirdness of uh, it's, it's yeah. I think that's where the where I sort of draw the line, at least on like what makes this interesting, because, again, you're literally just watching two people with these uh, like it's funny. It's funny for like gifs that you post on twitter like haha look at these two people as they are in vr like grabbing each other's arm or whatever but in terms of watching a show that's supposed to be this series that keeps going i don't see how they can like sustain this as something that's fascinating Maybe and then you yeah. could do it as like a born cosplay and then be hot <laughs> right like i've got right, this htc okay. vibe strapped to my face <laughs> but i'm a borg like I that, could that could be hot. I can see that. George is yeah. definitely down. <laughs> the only the only thing that's weird about it is that they're actually in the same 
area. Like if Mm -hmm. they were outside the area, I would, I think that that's an interesting idea. I think that dating in VR is, is, it makes sense in comparison to it's more interactive where you actually get to hear the person and understand the person better than it would in um, like on Tinder where you just see one, like, you know, a few static pictures with some blurb to it. I think that in that way it makes sense. I just think that this as the dating show is like strange, like being in the same, it just, I don't know. understand. I don't get it, but the idea behind it, I think, has some merit, and I think that for a lot of people, it would be a better manner to meet people than just as static pictures, because a lot of people may not photograph well, but have a great personality, and this is where you would shine. And I like the idea of if you don't feel comfortable with who you are, at first, you could be a panda, and everyone loves pandas. So you're like, okay, great, you know, I'm, I've got this panda thing going for me, and then after, as you get to know each other, then, you know, as you feel comfortable, you can let your guard down in small steps to that. I like that idea. I, I, again, the dating show aside is a little bit there, but being a T-Rex or a, or a panda or, you know, a Borg, cool. I don't know. That's that's neat to me. So I, I think it's potential. <laughs> There's okay. certainly some okay. potential there. I'm sorry. Like, if you've watched any of the video, it's, pre- it's pretty hilarious. Like, it's it's funny. Yeah. So yeah. in terms of being, you know, an entertainment show, it, it's certainly funny. And I will say, too, something important. Um, early, well, I guess it was early last week. Uh, one of my colleagues, Russell Hawley, he was uh, posting on Facebook, Facebook's like virtual spaces thing. And all it was 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 him standing in a room. And he was like getting comments from people because he went live while he was doing it. He was getting comments from people live and the comments would show up as rectangle rectangles in this virtual space. And he could grab them and hold them like pieces of paper and then place them in his virtual space. Meanwhile, he was having a conversation with someone who was on Facebook, like who was having a live uh, uh video chat with them and he was able to put that in 3d space and then position the camera that he was using to like that was you know supposed to represent the facebook live stream anywhere he wanted as well and it's super silly and he was just you know this this avatar character but at the same time that's that sort of stuff seems interesting to me because he was in this virtual space looking around at this workspace that he built and like mm-hmm. i'm having a live conversation with somebody over voice chat and over here i'm having that, that that's it, it all it's it's really fun and not Novel, but I think, like, as VR becomes even more and more uh, better, and, and more and more people are using it, yeah, yeah, then it's going to have to be a better thing than this. Because, like, right now, it's just novelty, and they're on the moon. <laughs> if if my congressional race does not work out, and it will, but if it doesn't, I'm going to launch my new dating app. It's going to be called <laughs> BorgFreakLeak.com. <laughs> BorgFreakLeak.com. I want to date Borg. I do. And I'm tired of feeling ashamed and judged about that. So swipe right on one of seven, swipe left on three of five, you know, just, just do what you got to do. No, it's a judgment free space. Men are going to be alone. Say what? All the Ferengi men are going to be alone. Oh, Ferengi. Yes. No, no. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of men, by the way, Georgia. I'm just. <laughs> That's a lot of gold press Latinum. <laughs> I'm just uh, saying. Statistically, you know about your Star yeah. Wars character, yeah. a Star Trek character, um, you know, how you feel about relationships. <laughs> Could tell us a lot, actually. This could weed out a lot of that. Yeah, it really could. It really could. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like yeah. it. Get the rights yeah. to that. I'm with yeah. it. 
Yeah. I'm afraid uh, that it would tell me that in a relationship I was too Vulcan. <laughs> Sometimes I think that is the, the, the factor. Like, you need to be more available and emotionally aware. Odo, but that's, Say what? I see more as Odo, but that's me. Oh, Odo. Um, yeah, Spock, you, you have more feeling than Spock. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah, you're totally a Deanna Troy, just sucking up everyone's <laughs> emotions around you. And, oh, oh, it's too powerful, the alien entity. It's emotions. It's playing that so song cool. in my head. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, uh, so which is the positive? Swipe left or swipe right? I, you're I, asking I, us? I was married I, after it came out. So, so see, and I, I would be a bad spouse if I knew that, Mike. So let's <laughs> pretend that swipe <laughs> right. Swipe right is the positive one. Uh, we're going to swipe right on our friends at Squarespace. This episode of Disruption is brought to you by Squarespace. You can enter the offer code Disruption at checkout, and you're going to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move, which is a swipe right with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea. And with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more, you are going to rock it. Maybe you want to create an online store. Maybe you want to create a portfolio or a blog. Squarespace all-in-one platform lets you do just that. There's nothing to install. You don't have to worry about patches. There aren't even any upgrades. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has it all covered. They've got award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help, and they'll let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. I've mentioned before why I love Squarespace. It's because they just make sure that everything is already ready and available to you. Apple Pay, HTTPS support, all of it was there. All you got to do is like go in and flip a switch and things were ready to go. Squarespace plans started just 12 bucks a month, but you, you who are listening right now can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, you're going to use the offer code disruption and you're going to get 10% off your first purchase. And you will of course be showing your support for our show. We thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move make your next website Squarespace before before we go to our next topic this is the other thing I've never understood about Tinder okay so (laughs) it's swipe left or you swipe right but like wouldn't this be the perfect like implementation to use Apple's like four finger swipe for just something like you see something hot and then you're just pawing at the screen with four fingers like I think that would be the one time you could use it would that be good? Would that be really good? Would that be like, yes. like, like yeah, yes. like a super swipe? Like yeah, I am so swipe. into yeah. you. Yeah, you're just I, I'm like so into you. I'm just gonna paw at the screen. Just paw the screen. Paw at the screen. Yeah. But then what if the I other person that, isn't uh, pawing back? And then you've well, like, well, you, that's yeah. That's then that, they. I guess they'd just be like, oh my, we need to get rid of this person. Like, yeah, oh dear. That would be the paw. You'd paw left. Oh no! You can four finger swipe away. Like. No, 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 thank you. It's like a paw swipe at that point. Like, you you just get, you get like mauled in the face instead of I swear, y'all, there are times, like, I swear, I I get off the show 
And then I start playing back in my mind all the things I said on it. And I'm going like, is Stephen Lynch going to be like running ads against me here in Massachusetts? Like, like, and it's like, I can't come on the show and be like, yes, Micah, I think, um, I think what we need is a, I think we need to put environmentalism first in this country. I can't do that. <laughs> But you so, just so free. That's what you talk about. So, you free yeah. though. It's that. It's that you're real and human <laughs> or Borg. and Borg, right? So, so Bree, yeah. you were talking on Twitter this week about putting a, a pen between your teeth before you start speaking in front of crowds. Yes. Do you do you do yes. that for our show as well? Yes, I do. <laughs> But why? I don't, Sorry, I don't try do very hard. Okay, so why? here, what's the first Sorry, story. okay, P I N so, or P E N. A pen, like uh, so, a writing like, implement. A writing implement. So, okay, here, do this, Georgia. Okay. Okay. Who had in your taste like this and do this? A V C D E F G H I J K L N O P Q R S T U V I X Y C. Okay, and then you take it out, and your mouth muscles are more activated, and it makes you enunciate your words better. Are you so, sure this isn't just to make me feel ridiculous? No, I swear. Like, try it. It's, it's just a bonus. A D E F G H I J K. I just took it out of my mouth and was like, oh my God, I don't know where I've had this been. So try it. Like, see how you're enunciating more clearly when you're after you did that. I oh, like to eat did apples, I, did I? and now we are talking about Spiro. So no, you got to do it, too, Steve. Yeah. You got to do it too, Steve. We've yeah, embarrassed Steve. ourselves. Yeah. Find a pen, but have, de- like or a sanitize battery, it. First. That sounds pretty dangerous. No, no, no. Don't, don't do don't don't do a battery. <laughs> don't do a battery. <laughs> that's that's do you one have way for the show to end abruptly? Is, is <laughs> Put your finger in your mouth sideways. Just bite your finger. That's it. You see, now none of us can run for office. There we go. Right. We're all we're all screwed. <laughs> that was the test. No, but I do get it because like your your lips are pulled back and like a a, a, right. a musk. Yeah, that makes it. It's like it's it's another one of those sort do of muscular, exercises. more muscular lips make for better enunciation. I I guess so. Tersity, um, Georgia. Tersity. Tersity. That word you made up last Tur- week. Turgidity. You know, honestly, Georgia, one of these weeks, I want to sit down with you and like yeah. do a show about all the tricks I've learned to be uh, like charismatic because like yeah. people think it's a skill that you have, like, um, like you just are, or you aren't. Yeah. And I'm not at all. Like it's something you've had, like you have to learn to like turn on and there are all these psychological tricks oh, yeah. that you have to play on yourself to make it happen. Like, I swear yeah. I can make the most interesting book about running for Congress. Like one of them is like, you know, people can tell the difference in a fake 
fake smile and a real smile because Mm -hmm. a fake smile, the corners of your eyes don't move down very, very subtly. And humans don't like consciously know that, but Mm -hmm. we can determine it. So like Mm -hmm. what you have to do before you're talking to crowds is like you have to really check your emotional inner life and like really feel it. And it's like, it's like, it's not something you're doing externally. It's everything you're doing in your soul. Yeah. People and, that actually, that yeah. actually study, uh, like, especially, uh, psychologists that deal with like jury duty and jurors that are there and, uh, police train that of like, how do you tell if someone's genuine or lying or uncomfortable or micro? You're absolutely, you're absolutely right, Bree, that it, it makes a huge difference. And yeah. that's why, um, you know, between Nixon and Kennedy, Uh, You know, if you listen to them or if you saw them, who won the debates would be different depending on that, because you're missing all of those uh, nonverbal communication cues that people often get. And that's why if someone has anxiety or is is repressed anger, you're probably going to be feeling it for them and don't even know that you're feeling it from them. But you just get this kind of like spider sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great mm-hmm. idea. We should do, we'll do a topic on that. Mm-hmm. So. We should do a topic on it. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. <laughs> Watch out! Here comes the Spider Man. <laughs> I was with you. I was with Thank you. you. Thank you. I was with you. <laughs> Did you sing that with a, with a pen in your mouth, though? I I sung it with such turgidity. I can't even describe. <laughs> you're, so you're, you're the turgidist, Micah. <laughs> turgidist. <laughs> Whoa! That's, that's uncalled for. Yeah. That's you know how I feel about scatological fantasy. <laughs> I, I there was a there was a G in wanna, there. I promise. Someone has to use that somewhere else at some point and just retweet with me on there. Something you know, it's like it's like Kraft mac and cheese is the cheesiest. Micah's the turgidist. That's all. I cannot have these hyperbolic accusations thrown at me. It's not an accusation if it's true, Micah. I want to use the word scatological instead of like pathological or something. (laughs) (laughs) Georgia. Will you do that for me when you're done, like, you know, when you're already in office (laughs) so no one can use it against you? Oh my God! I, just, George, I'm going to use every episode of this podcast. It's like evidence of the anti-Canadian bill, yeah. right? Put forward, right, like right. we got to build the wall just on the other end, like build it higher. Someone's George describing the way, oh. yeah, the way that you uh, you solve like people's fears, and they mean to say like you use pathological techniques, but they say scatological <laughs> techniques <laughs> to solve fear. I guess if someone was afraid of feces. You would okay. have to. No, let, let's not go there, Mike. That's let's, a yeah. I've let's never actually there. dealt with okay. that as a fear. Is that Though a fe- people going to the bathroom, it is often Uh-oh. a fear, especially of making noises in public. Ooh. What's and topic so two? Let's topic to two today. How did we get from Star Wars to <laughs> Turns out it's uh, all about the restroom etiquette. how we get over yeah. that? No? No? no. Okay. Restroom etiquette? We'll save that I, for another I time. I can't. Yeah. So speaking, speaking not uh, of scatological humor or restroom etiqu- etiquette, I mean, Sphero has announced some new toys that certainly has my circle of, of, of I don't know, colleagues going bonkers for these things. Um, we've got BB-9E, which is like BB-8, but apparently better because it's got a 9 instead of an 8, except it's dark-sided. So George is probably really excited about BB-9E. And then there's also an R2-D2 figure uh, made by the folks at Sphero that will actually shake and fall like the R2-D2 in the movie. 
piece. So, so two new drones with all of the, the, the bells and whistles there. Like you can, um, you know, watch shows with it. It, it makes all of the sounds that, uh, BB-8 can make, and it will also, well, the, rather that each of the different robots can make, each of the different droids can make. It has a patrol mode, it's got the whole kit and caboodle, so you can own your own R2-D2 or your own BB-9E, which is like a, a, a black version of the RR of the BB-8 uh, figure, and yeah, I mean, these are pretty cool. I guess they're expensive, which is why I never got a BB-8 drone. But I know a lot of people like rushed out to get a BB-8 as soon as they possibly could. And so okay, that actually in. ties to what I wanted to ask you, Georgia. Like, no. is it is it like I've seen that BB-8 and I was really tempted to buy it, but like my cassette, it's like $150. So, you know, I see this version of it, which is a really cool Imperial design and I want it. So like my question is, did you actually play with it or is it one of these things you I did? Yeah? I loved my, I love my BB-8. Actually, my, my child actually sense? hearing about this was playing with it. I don't use it very much anymore. Like the only the cool part is that it had a patrol mode where you could just leave it and it would just roll around the floor and it was a cute pet actually for your your pets like something that would keep your dogs kind of entertained every now and then um but i didn't play with it much after the fact to that um i that being said so i have i i so i did get the bb8 so i'm probably the prime target for this i do want the r2d2 i really do i love r2d2 i'm not getting evil bb8 but um uh, though i like the dark side but r2d2 was making his cute little noises and shake kill me i want this so badly um and bringing bb8 uh bb8 to the movie theater whenever the movies come out and watching the kids run after and chase and cuddle and hug it is well worth it so i need to get uh r2d2 it's not a maybe i have to get r2d2 um even if it's if it's only like you know i'll play with it every like whatever you know 180 dollars He's expensive, but he's so cute, and he makes but, but, cute I mean, little R2-D2 yeah. noises. And Spiro's come a really long way. Like, I don't know if you all saw, like, the Lightning McQueen car that they made, but it, no. it actually, like, the mouth moves and enunciates the words like Lightning McQueen does in the Cars movie. And Who's Lightning McQueen? Who's yeah. that? Yeah. Cars. Cars Pixar. Yeah, cars the, Pixar. Yeah, the red car Oh, cars. okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and he actually like the mouth moves along with the words that he's saying, like like it does in the movie. And oh, cool! Yeah, it, it's really <laughs> impressive this kind of stuff that they're doing, especially um, it's it's they're they're coming a long way with what they're doing though. And, and uh, Maureen is like the world's biggest R two D two fan, so this is going to cost me like a bajillion yeah. dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just one hundred eighty. Well, yeah, but there's also a um, there's uh, there's this post on this site called iMore that that I hear the kids are into these days um, that had some of the other toys also that I just saw right before the show. And there's apparently a a company called Little Bits that yes. makes a make your own R two D two kit along with the electronics and everything inside of it. Yeah, and, I'm in there too. Yeah, and I mean, for <laughs> for my kids that have been messing around with like electronic sets and stuff like that, like this would be they would be like all over this, like like anything. So, and that's only a hundred dollars, but at least that's you know that's educational. Even if they don't play with it after the fact, at least they're get they're learning something about wiring the thing up in the in the process of building it. Doing yeah. it, I'm getting those too. Like I think that we're already like on the list to like. Yeah. <laughs> There's a I, wait I, list. 
yeah it's like it's not out yet like you have to like yeah there's only gonna be so many and it's it sounds so cute but do you like brie are you into r2d2 so steve's definitely getting one i'm getting one brie I feel like R2-D2 has played out. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I've gotten so much stuff for the original trilogy over the years. It's like what I'm looking forward to in The Last Jedi is some new characters and some new design work. Like the the biggest critique of Episode 7, which is a great movie, is it's fairly derivative. So, you know, I'm ready for some new adventures. I'm with I'm you sorry. there. I, 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 I know. I, I don't think I'll be getting one either. Um, just because, again, it's one of those things where it's like, it's a lot I could buy this or I could buy the next iPhone when it comes out. Yeah. And so BB9E or whatever it's called has to sit on a shelf uh, away from me and outside of my purview. But it's cool. And I love seeing, you know, other folks use them. And um, I know we've got some content planned for whenever we get a hold of them with videos and stuff like that. But like, ultimately, it is just sort of a, I was never very good with collector's items. I always wanted to take them out of the package and, I don't know, play with them and then take them apart. (laughs) So before we move on to the next topic, like with Star Wars stuff, I want to tell you guys, like, I, I, we've done so many cool things with my campaign as far as, like, cool fundraisers and stuff, but I'm so proud of this. Like, we are working to rent out an entire theater for when Last Jedi comes out here in Boston. And, like, think about this. Like, most political fundraisers you go to, it's like, you know, some depressing hotel bar room and there's chicken. You know, I just don't want to do that. And I'm like... You know, it would be awesome to like go watch The Last Jedi opening weekend with a lot of other progressives that, you know, will like donate to your campaign. So that's what we're going to be doing probably at the Dedham Theater. Like, isn't that awesome? Like, that's that's really, really cool and fun and much more exciting than just meeting some place and, you know. Yeah, giving some politicians feel. We're doing the same thing with Star Trek. When that comes out, we're going to have like a huge uh, fundraising party uh, at a friend of mine's house here in Boston. And it's like, you know, Star Trek, like that is such a desperately needed message right now <laughs> about like, you know, like sacrifice and duty and, and you know, love of other and hope. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think it's, uh, I, I just feel so good about all these geek properties that are coming out because I think the message is so needed right now yeah yeah so so how come you don't have the same animosity towards the borg as you do the terminator whenever we talk about ais (laughs) i'm still Uh, no like aren't the borg worse because they're like you know well they're not like mindlessly killing but they're actually like assimilating and turning people into killer robots but maybe they actually think that that's better yeah, I don't know. They're not just trying I, to wipe things out. They're trying to live as a group, uh, you know, a hive mind. Maybe we're wrong. Yeah, the Borg killed a lot more people than Skynet, though. Like, he only killed one planet. Uh, the Borg killed, like, tr- billions and trillions of lives across civilization. So, yeah, that's a fair critique, Steve. Yeah, so... I mean, but they're so cool. <laughs> it's, 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 it's seven of nine, isn't it? Is it, 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 it that's the difference, right? I think it's. I, I think the Borg is just cool in general. Okay, so I, like I, I have a personal bias because my favorite color is green, and it's just like green everything. Like green and technology together, it's like my essence. Of course, but then you add the, you know the, the e- not evil part, but the mindless uh, assimilation, and that's scary. But the first part of it, the green and the tech, <laughs> that's why I always thought the Borg was cool. 
So speaking, uh, speaking of killer AI or AIs and, and things that kill people, right? Then yeah, uh, sorry, that was that was a really good. Uh, that, was segue a really, there. that was a really good Simone style segue, and you 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 just left me hanging. It was seamless. Head. It was so seamless. for some reason my mic just randomly muted, and I have no idea oh, why. Oh, so right, okay, I, I, I see how it is. Your mic randomly muted. Okay, right when you were saying your perfect segue. Uh-huh. Yes, indeed. Okay. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so in Sydney. Uh, in that that Australian place that has those terrifying koalas, um, they've done something really cool. Humans are okay at being able to accurately find uh, sharks and find like where sharks are living and what they're doing, but they only have a twenty to thirty percent accuracy rate. And when they can bring in software to detect sharks, that jumps up to about 90%. And so they decided, hmm, how can we combine these two things, the technology of being able to do 90% and then like the human mind of being able to sort of suss out the differences. And they decided to strap some cameras onto some drones and include some uh, shark detection technology and send those over these bodies of water where sharks are living. And basically they have shark detecting drones flying around in Sydney that are helping these humans uh, find sharks and keep people safe from sharks and keep sharks safe from humans. So I think this is really, really neat. I mean, you've got there's I just found out about this not too long ago, but there are actually um, surfers can buy these bands. And I think I can't remember if it's that they say it on the the arm, the band of the arm or what it is, but on the band, it it's supposed to signify that like if i get killed by a shark do not kill that shark because as it stands right now in the same way that if a dog were to maul and kill a human um i don't know if people know this but they will 99.9 percent of the time kill the dog for for killing the human and the same thing goes in in the water if a shark kills a human most of the time i think you know pretty much all the time the shark will die so there are actually surfers they don't who find the shark though no yeah if yeah sorry if they find the shark then the okay, shark is killed yeah, yeah that, that's that's yeah. a good point um and so this this whole new system is to is a to keep humans safe from sharks but really sharks aren't often just going to come and chew on humans there's usually a reason the shark has ended up attacking a human and so this is not just safety for humans but also safety for the animals as well yeah i i don't i don't know about this like the problem is is that most sharks out of like all of the the sharks that are out in the ocean which is like i don't know there's like I don't know, almost 500 species of sharks. There's very few that even attack humans at all. And, um, and out of the ones that attack, like if you get, you know, 40, I don't know what it is in the thing, like 70 shark attacks per it bites per year. Most of them are just like, Oh, like, what is this? Is this tasty? <clears throat> and, you know, most of that time it's like, Oh, oops, it's a human. They don't like humans. And so they go off to try to eat something tasty, like a seal that they might've mistaken us for. And so my problem with having drones looking for sharks is their accuracy. So most sharks and I've I've dove with sharks and stupidly no cage and we fed them and they were bull sharks, which is one of the top five of (laughs) shark attacks are from bull sharks, but they really were not interested at all at hunting. And when they saw like noticed I was a human, they were afraid of me which is we kill many more sharks than they ever kill us. I believe that the number is around like of fatal attacks. It's maybe in the double digits, but very low in the double digits. If that is 
um, the case at all, um, because finding numbers for fatal shark attacks for years is really difficult. But I, I think it's like maybe 10. I'm not sure. But it's very, very few. So my worry is that they're going to be very good at finding sharks. People are going to be exceptionally scared. And most of the t- time, we have swam probably very close to sharks a lot of the time, and they really could care less about us. And out of that, most of the sharks that we would find are, are not at all dangerous to us and have never even bitten a shark. Like You heard it here on this show. Friendly. Georgia sides with sharks. Not <laughs> you heard it. Georgia thinks of sharks as friends. Like they're, they're sharks not. are friends. No they're friends. Like turning into an ep- now we're going from, from cars to Star Wars to Finding Nemo. Yes. <laughs> I've never Fish seen that. Are friends, yeah. not food. Okay. No, but okay. I, I agree. I, I see what you're saying, Georgia. And I, I'm with you. Like, sort of pointing these things out adds to the fear possibly, but I think this was sort of a mixture of things. Um, as this article notes that we'll, we'll include in the show notes, um, there was a series of, of shark attacks off um, Australia's northeast coast uh, this year, and that's sort of what caused um, you know the, the lawmakers to come together and be like, we've got to do something about these sharks, and this is what they chose to do among some other uh, decisions that they had because like there are a lot of times they'll just put up safety nets and then sharks and other fish get caught in these safety nets and end up dying um and so this is you know a a sort of we're not we're not blocking the water or anything like that we're just drones flying above the water and sort of keeping track of more the the sort of uh patterns of where the sharks are living and where they're going but yeah i I agree with you there because then it's like well we saw some sharks off this coast and then people are like oh goodness that means we can't go in that water and it's like no 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 it's not that it's just like stay out of this area if you want to stay away from the sharks which could be you know scared of you and then end up attacking because they think you're coming after their children or whatever it happens to be um so yeah it it is sort of and then i don't know how it is in australia but i know there's you know concern over people uh taking sharks and killing them and then eating them which is horrifying but is certainly something that happens as well and then throw the sharks back into the water because they just use the fins so just kills them and and sharks are very important for the ecosystem (laughs) all that aside right like yeah okay there's a risk to people dying and there's a risk to sharks dying when the two come together Right. I mean, that's it. it doesn't but the, the numbers are not even close, Steve. Yeah, it's right, like, but like, like I mean, thousands of sharks per 10 humans. Right. And how many times do people drive in cars and not get into a car accident and you still put a seatbelt on every time you get in the car? Right. But the drone isn't really a seatbelt. Well, it, but it's it's at least there are a lot of people who don't need this to be scared of sharks. Right. Jaws is a movie that exists. And. It's something that at least you know that, hey, there's a shark. If you are not okay with that, then go somewhere else. And like, I, it's probably okay for there to be a healthy fear of sharks if there are going to attack people. Because the one person who would, like, it, you know, the one person who it happens to is going to be happy that they weren't in the same place as the shark when the shark was, was you know, had a bad morning or whatever, right? So, and and if this is something that... <laughs> you know, can use algorithms to do that kind of detection and just warn people and it can reduce the number of shark attacks from like <laughs> 10 to zero. 
I but mean, but the thing is, the thing is, is that I don't think that it's actually going to be effective to that. So like when you talk about there's like probably around 10 shark deaths per year um, and like 3000 people are killed by hippos and 130 people per year are killed by deer. And we don't have any deer drones. I need a deer drone. And I need dogs. A deer drone. There's like like 40 people are killed by dogs. Dogs really That's are. That's what I've been people. saying all along. Um, oh God! You know, you jellyfish are more dangerous. Cows are more dangerous than sharks. Um, mosquitoes. My thing is that we're oh, yeah, mosquitoes will like wipe us out. Like out of like they might have yeah, mosquitoes are yeah. How but, many um, people the Canadians kill? Do you <laughs> <laughs> what about that? But we but, need, but, you know, need Canadian drones, and and all that's fair, right? But like so. We can't, so we shouldn't bother to like. It, it seems like no, the we'll problem so big. Then, well, I, I think that they'll be just all these people are going to be even more frightened. They're not going to go into the water. There's sharks all over the place. They really could care less about us. They're not that dangerous to us either. Um, there's more chance probably that you'll be killed by a coconut than a shark. Like. Well, We're not what, wearing hard hats around coconuts. I think that it feeds. Like I think that it's a hey, cool idea. I'm wearing Georgia, I saw. I've done so much research on this. I saw Sharknado <laughs> one. I saw Sharknado two. And I saw Sharknado three. And I have to tell you, I I think the danger here. I think you're really papering over the danger. I I, I like especially like you saw Harvey. Like, what if you added sharks to that? Like, that would not work out well. So what if people who just actively avoid the water now? Entirely because they see reports on the news of shark attacks. They watch they watch Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. They see the specials about people getting mauled by sharks that make it seem like it happens more than it is. And they just avoid going in the water all all, at all. And Mm. then uh, having something like this out there gives them the confidence that, hey, something's watching out for me. And. I can go in the water because I know if there is a shark nearby that this thing's going to scream, you know, Jaws is nearby, get out, and I'm going to be able to get out before it's an issue. If, if that, then that would make me feel better. If it helped people get into the water and swim, um, I would feel better about that, though. I'll be honest, I would be more afraid of being hit in the head by one of those drones than the sharks. But <laughs> hey, I guess there's less people afraid of drones than they are. So, so <laughs> as a coconut death specialist, uh, I would right. just like to right. add the following. To, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think, Georgia, you just want more, more people to rescue dive. <laughs> That's what this is about. Uh, yeah, I guess. You want more people in the water so you can rescue dive, save them. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, I completely like. I get where you're coming from as much as I get where sort of this this uh, idea comes from because I do think, like, as it even says in the article, part of this was born out of uh, peop, you know normal citizens looking to their lawmakers for a solution because suddenly there were a series of shark attacks that, that cropped up, and so they could have done what was normally done, which is to put up nets, but instead they decided to look at a different opportunity and a different option here that didn't sort of take the typical route that ends in in deaths as well. Um, and it is, I, I think it's kind of cool that uh, on top of being able to track sharks, it can also tag dolphins and whales too. So yeah. they can recognize sort of like whale pods and or I think that's what they're called, the groups of yeah, whales and groups of, yeah. of dolphins. Is that, is that like a speaker made out of a whale? whale pot oh no steve no it's not that's horrifying 
And it only makes sounds. Yeah. There you go. What yeah. would sound like on Georgia's streaming service? Yeah. Uh, whale sounds on Georgia's uh, <laughs> low quality streaming service. Oh I, I think I played it at some point, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's dangerous actually for divers as well. It's one of the things that that catches us as well because um, fishing line and and um, netting is really hard to see in the water, so uh, it catches humans as well, and we have to like entanglement is a really big deal. So. Ooh, that's scary. And and a lot of animals to see a turtle stuck in fishing line and his skin has actually grown around it because he's caught in there um, is pretty horrific and and fishermen will just cut the line and it gets caught on something. So, yeah. Mm. So, you know, maybe there's fewer of those nets out in the water and then the sh- it's, it's safer for the sharks. It's safer for the humans. Everybody's everybody's happy until the drones turn or, turn on us and inevitably kill us all. Until a drone hits the coconut tree, knocks a coconut on your head, and yeah, kills you. you. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Um, I, I'm stuck on coconut deaths now. I'm going to have to research that. Uh, yeah, I don't true? know if it was true. Someone actually said that like 150 people get 150 people get killed a year by coconuts, but I'm not sure if that's actually just hyperbole there's versus just like a one, true. There's just like one dude on an island throwing coconuts at people and, and response. So he's like a coconut serial killer. <laughs> oh my god. His name is. He's Coconut Charlie. That's his name. Co- Coconut Charlie. Somebody <laughs> uh, send say, us a those photo. Coconut monsters caused uh, Moana a lot of problems. That's I true. That movie. Yeah, they were it's kind true. of cute though. I sort of Very want someone cute. to send a sketch of uh, Coconut Charlie to us. So if you're out there and you're an artist, send us a sketch of Coconut Charlie. You've been challenged. I, I want a uh, whole spinoff movie about those coconut <laughs> monsters. I do. I do. Can we have Hey Hey the little chicken in it as well? Then I'm all oh. in. Yeah, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think you know you could get a Stephen King movie. You could get like It Part Two, except instead of a clown killing people, it's a guy throwing coconuts. <laughs> I think it's actually a rooster. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on to the the questions or question that we had yeah. before we wrap out the yeah. show. So we have one question, and and Michael will tell you after we're all done with this how you can get your questions into us. Um, but this is a question that I is I'm not sure if it oh from zero on Twitter who sent through DM who said it was okay to use to use his or her name. Um, I, I've been thinking a lot recently about the heritage slash don't erase history statements in the media regarding things like the Confederate statues and how deliberately the U.S. has erased a lot of his history re- regarding fascism, hate, and anti-Semitism. Uh, I do regular history lessons on Twitter and talk to folks in person about these things, but I would love to hear thoughts from the hosts on ways to get these history lessons out to a wider audience. I'm not talking about the white supremacists and MRAs, but the host of moderate and liberal. It can't happen to hear folks who seem convinced a history of dehumanizing things are an aberration rather than part of a long history. Uh, how do you spread uncomfortable truths even to willing audiences? I'm happy to do, keep doing Twitter histories and such that get retweets and the like, but short of starting a charter school or something, I'm not sure how to develop a platform. Wow, that's a really great question. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give my thought on it. Um, we don't learn our history lessons from statues that are around us. It's That's not the way that we learn history, and I think that um, the way that it is taught is through our education system that has to make sure that, like, History is it should not only by be written by the people that have conquered 
lens and dealings. And I think that we have definitely whitewashed our histories to show the best of us and not the worst of us. And most of our lessons come through learning about our mistakes that we've made so that they are not repeated. But I don't believe that that statues are the way to do that. And that's not usually the way we deal with it. Statues are used in a way to commemorate people that we look up to and situations that we have had happen in certain areas to that. And I think that that is different than the lessons in history that used to be brought down just by oral representation through the ages. And now we have books and texts that we can read through it. I think that it's really difficult and, you know, hard to maintain that the history is balanced and fair and honest. And it is hard to talk about, like, if you, if you even tell stories of your own life, you will often let go of the parts that you feel embarrassed or upset about and kind of um, embellish. None of us, of course, would do that here, where we would all be very accurate and honest. But, you know, others might embellish the things that they did that were good and kind of like renege on the parts that are bad. And that's the problem with a lot of our history books of what we're dealing with it. But I think that we need to have a much more honest view of what's happened so that we can learn from it. Because if we don't know of it, we will repeat mistakes that have happened. There are no statues to Hitler in Germany. Um, they still teach very strongly um, about about what happened in their books, and it's quite a stark and um, honest representation to that. But are we always honest to every single set of people? Um, you know, for for the people that you know come through here, uh, we have in Canada. You know, talking about like Johnny McDonald, uh, who you know we talk about the natives and how they feel about where he was there. Um, we we call them First Nations here, but um, it it becomes a very tentative discussion because to one part that may look at someone as how wonderful and a conqueror who has come here to someone else they may have you know mass wiped out and uh, dealt in genocide and yeah. so we need to make sure that we have a very honest representation that there can be both but that doesn't i don't think that statues are the manner in which we do that anyways there i are- i, I want to answer this guy's question but i i kind of want to yeah, Micah, jog my memory again. What's what state do you live in again? Missouri. Missouri. Okay. I I would consider that like northern south. Like Mississippi is deep, deep, deep south, right? Like economically devastated. Right. A whole different world than Missouri. Um Yeah, this is a really personal story to me because you know, I was sent to Christian schools that deliberately gave me textbooks that twisted the history of the Civil War to give a very, um, shall we say, pro-Confederacy slant. We were given newsletters to do that. I had teachers that, you know, told me over and over and would like, mark your answers wrong if you said the Civil War was about slavery. So this is a really, Sorry, really, Brie, can I ask you the question? What did they say that the Civil War was about, if I it may was just about, ask? It, yeah, it was about economics, they would say, and okay. states' rights. States' um, rights, okay. yeah. Which is nonsense. This is so, you know, when we're talking about, you know, this this push and pull with the statues here, you know, it's not like, like I grew up in this culture. 
and it's not about honoring the past. You know, in, in the Mississippi Delta, we have a lot of Civil War battlefields, and I've never seen anyone on any side like talking about not making a battlefield a historical site, because like that's a message about the bloody cost of something that happened. When you build a statue, particularly to what you can completely accurately describe as a terrorist insurgent and a traitor, that is honoring something else and it's sanctifying it. And frankly, it's just kind of putting a thumb in the eye to the culture, uh, you know, the culture that won. So I think this is like such a dangerous thing. You know, and your question was more about like looking at our history of anti Semitism and engaging it honestly. I think this is such a hard thing for anyone to do in activist spaces. You know, something I really made a very conscious decision not to do was to not be an Anita Sarkeesian, to not be a Catherine Cross, to not be someone that just spent my entire life in like academic circles, like preaching to the choir. And I think that as much as this message really needs to be out there, I think it's a real challenge about how you engage people with this. Because like some of the threads I've seen, like, hey, wake up Americans about your history of anti-Semitism here. Like you can say you did this to go fight Hitler, but you also turned a lot of Jews away at, you know, um, trying to get to New York. I I think it's really difficult. And I think that, you know, you have to open it up by not trying to scold people, which is really hard sometimes. So I I don't think there's a really easy answer to that. Um, I do think that people tune into progressive content that is informative. And I think if you're giving things that are more light than heat, I think that that um, has value. But I just, you know, for me personally, I think there's definitely a, a space for academic discussions. It's just not something, you know, I personally am interested in doing. Uh, I want to, to to double down on what Georgia said in terms of uh, especially younger age education because here's here's an here's a perfect example. Many 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 people in the United States think that Eli Whitney, the man who invented the cotton gin, was black. What that what that's saying <laughs> is that a black man invented this machine that that really made like it, it was it was cotton being you know picked by slaves and turned into yeah so. People thought that the the inventor of the cotton gin was black. Eli Whitney was a white man, but all across the United States, there's not even any sort of like, you can't even geographically locate where this has happened. And God's honest truth, I sort of thought that I remembered being taught that. I can't confirm it. Many people were like, yeah, I'll show you right here. Here was like something that I kept from sixth grade, and it showed that Eli Whitney was a black man. No, he was a white man, but many people think that he was black. And what Bree's talking about there with, you know, having this this education drilled into you as, as a young person, um, in my school, it wasn't about... It, I, 
I don't remember, you know, in history being taught that Eli Whitney was black or that um, states' rights was the, the, the main reason for the civil rights. But I do remember that whenever it came time to talk about things like sex ed, and I think that a lot of people can, can uh, sort of confirm this around the United States, I remember the part where they were basically saying, if you're not straight, you're going to die because of this, that, and the other. And it was all about, of course, you know, preaching um, no, no sex until marriage, but it was especially homophobic, especially against anything that wasn't sort of the biblical, uh, quote, truth, unquote, of, of, of you know, uh, of sexuality. And I think that when we're that young and have not quite yet developed, A, an understanding of the world in general, but B, like the ability to sort of question what those who are supposed, like we... I was always enraptured by my teachers as, uh, as, like, I can remember in elementary school especially, like, teachers taught these things and you saw, or at least I did, saw them as, like, these these beings of, of, of pureness who, who did these great things and could, could help you understand things. So, I, you know, I didn't question them, and I think that that certainly applies to a lot of people. There certainly were people who did. But my point being that, yeah, I think that it's important that if we're going to be educating people, that there is as little bias as possible possible in those things, because that sort of informs the way that we sort of approach the rest of our lives. And if you're not one who ends up sort of questioning things in the end, you can get stuck in that. And it's like the little things that matter, including Eli Whitney. Like, I'm sure there are plenty of progressives who still think that he was black. And in some small way, that sort of informs some portion of the way that you see the world. Like that, it, it's it's these, these little things that, that become the platform of who we are and our identity. Identity. And I think that it's important that we certainly pay attention to that. So, Georgia, I absolutely agree that, like, younger age education is certainly a factor in this. Um, but, yeah, I mean, sort of going back to what it— uh, Micah, can I ask you a question on that before you yeah, go absolutely. over to it? What would be the significance of him being black? That means it's not as bad? That means what does it— the cotton gin was um, a machine that separated the cotton from the seeds, right? So mm-hmm. it was. It took the the, the 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 slaves would pick the cotton and bring the cotton in and put it into the gin, and then the cotton was separated from the seeds, and then the cotton could be used to make clothes and all that stuff. That was like a huge uh, growth area for the South, right? And so it made. Um, basically like it, where before it, it took a lot longer to make cotton. So suddenly you needed more people picking cotton and bringing it in and putting oh, it into these things. So okay. if a black man had created it. this machine, it's sort of like was saying, well, a black man helped uh, yeah. make a boon for this, you know, this society. So that's sort of the, the, um, so it was so, used you know, almost as a shield to say that, mm-hmm. Okay, I get it. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, well, you, you, did you know that a black man invented that? So, like, a black man was partially responsible for the yes. boon in slavery. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that I, I think that uh, just to wrap up on this, um, I think that education is a huge factor there, uh, that, that we have to, at younger ages especially, sort of inform people. Um, and you can do your part. Uh, in, in helping with that by helping to inform. but um, I feel of- like before we move on, this is like a question with anti-Semitism, so I definitely want to get Steve's perspective before yeah. we move on on this. Well, like, so I went to a Jewish day school in through eighth grade, so like we had Jewish history, and Jewish history is mostly the, is generally mostly the history of how people try to kill us for the most part, because um, that's what a lot of Jewish history is. So like I got a lot of that exposure early and and you know that that was also you know being a religious education that's also got its biases too 
to, you know, but it's more of like from a self-preservation perspective. But, you know, that's probably why I'm more sensitive to things that that happen, you know, that sound like the, what was happening in Germany in, in 1933. But I think the, the, the problem is also just that most people, they stop studying history in high school and you get a very high level overview and you don't really see the stuff that led up to it. You just kind of get the events. And, and I think like learning some of the details of what led to some of the, some of the things that are black marks in humanity's history kind of helps us from going down that path again anyway, but we should, we should probably, uh, we should probably wrap it up. Cause we, I have to go order an R2D2 or six. <laughs> I'm with you on that. <laughs> If you'd like to get in touch, here's how you can do that. You can call us at 508-418-3532, or you can tweet us at underscore disruption FM with the hashtag disrupt me. And if you'd rather keep things private, you can send us a direct message. Uh, please do let us know if we can use your name on the show. Otherwise, we will default to anonymous. If you're looking for the show notes, you can find those at relay.fm slash disruption, or just look in that app that you're using right now. If you're looking for me online, you can find me on Twitter at Micah Sargent, or you can go to chihuahua.coffee, where there are links to all the things that I do. Steve, if people are looking for you online, where can they find you? Well, if you want to hear me uh, talking about a children's card game called Hearthstone, you can go listen to me talk about that on my drive home from work at Off Curve, which you can find at offcurve.com. Or if you just want to see me rambling about whatever on Twitter, you can find me at Wicked Good. And Brie, if people are looking for you online, where can they find you? I'm really excited. I could be on C-SPAN next week uh, giving a keynote to the University of Delaware. So you can see me on C-SPAN. I made it, y'all, the most prestigious channel. Yeah. Um, You can also find me, uh, if you want to support my congressional campaign, uh, you can do this by going to supportbrianna.com. You know, something I'm really doing in my campaign is I'm trying to raise money from, you know, normal people rather than giant business interests like my opponent is. So, you know, if you can uh, support us, I would definitely really appreciate that. Uh, And you can see my exciting, thrilling Chills a minute, thrills a minute Twitter feed at Space Cacao. And last but certainly not least, the queen of the dash and the underscore Georgia Dow. If people are looking for you online, where can they find you? You can check out, if you're dealing with anxiety or depression, you can check out anxiety-videos.com or on Twitter. It's at Georgia underscore Dow. Excellent. All that's left is for Steve to do that thing he does every week. So, Steve, take us out of this episode. Go. Go find something else to listen to before Coconut Charlie makes you. Go. Bye. Come on, Charlie.